we're going to go ahead and look at our passage for this morning, which is going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can uh, gather together uh, this morning uh, in your presence, Lord, to worship you to us from heaven by the power of your spirit through the scriptures. And I pray that's what you would do now. Lord, we gather together, Lord, in your presence to hear all that you have for us, Lord. May we have open ears, Lord. May we feel and know and sense and believe that you are speaking to us individually and us corporately as a church in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, we are um, going to start looking at the book of 2 Timothy um, here this morning. Uh, and we, we've titled this series uh, of sermons, Vintage, Season Words to the Church. 2 Timothy uh, was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he was a Jewish teacher. And at one time, he was persecuting the church, um, locking Christians up, participating uh, in their murder uh, and in their death until he met the risen Lord Jesus, completely changed his life. Jesus chose him, called him, commissioned him, sent him out to preach the gospel, to establish the church, and to be a leader uh, in, in the church. And uh, that's what he did for 30 years after meeting Jesus. 30 years, he preached Jesus. He planted churches just like what we're doing. Right? He encouraged those churches. He mentored the pastors. Right? He, he wrote most of the books in the second part of the Bible, which is the New Testament. And now he found himself locked up in jail for preaching the gospel. Can you imagine that? Right? And this is most likely the second time uh, that he had been um, in prison for just telling people about Jesus. He was on trial. He had already testified once before uh, the most powerful government on the face of the, the earth at the time, which was uh, Rome and he, before Emperor Nero. And you really have to try to imagine this. Uh, Paul had given his whole life and his whole heart to telling other people about Jesus, to establishing these churches and mentoring these pastors. And here he was at the end, right? He knew he was going to die. And uh, he was handcuffed like a criminal, he was alone. He was bored. He was cold. He was hungry. The Roman uh, Emperor Nero, Nero was, was trying to, he was hell-bent on destroying the church. He was awful. History. He, he was a madman. He was awful. Um, false teachers were, were infiltrating the church, causing all kinds of problems, leading people away, dividing the church. And when Paul was arrested, all kinds of leading pastors in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, where Timothy, the guy who's writing to, was a pastor, they abandoned the Apostle Paul. They deserted him. They didn't stand with him because they knew that similar fate uh, might come to them. So no wonder the Apostle Paul was concerned for Timothy. That's what he's writing out of this concern uh, for him and his young pastor that he had mentored himself. He was like a son to him, and he loved Timothy. Um, John Calvin, he was a Swiss 
Protestant reformer, uh, in his commentary on 2 Timothy, this is what he said. All that we read here, the whole book, 2 Timothy, therefore, concerning the kingdom of Christ, the hope of eternal life, Christian warfare, confidence in confessing Christ, and the certainty of doctrine, look at this, ought to be viewed by us as written not with ink, but with Paul's own blood. You think about it, this man penned this letter knowing that he was going to spill his blood for Jesus very soon. So, these were his last words to the church, right? In other words, they are seasoned words to the church, and that's what the church needs. That's what the church needs in every age. That's what the church especially needs in our day and age. That's what our church needs. Our church needs seasoned words, right? Words that are seasoned with blood. Because that's what these words are seasoned with. Um, on Christmas Day, we, uh, we smoke some rib on, right? You got to put the rib rub on. So put all the spices and all the seasoning and just, you know, massage it in there. Just put the love on it, right? Just massage the spice into the, those ribs. And uh, that's what Paul is doing here in the, in, the, in the introduction. This is what he does in all the introduction of his, of his letters. It's like a little uh, sampler of the rest of the letter. All right, you can taste the seasoning uh, in it. So this is the first thing we'll see, is that we need a word from God. That's what 2 Timothy is. Look, look what 2 Timothy 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. You see that little phrase, by God's will? Um, this letter of 2 Timothy is not just talking about something that God did in the past. Right? It's talking about what God continues to do in the present because it is God's Word. 2 Timothy is a part of this book. It is Scripture. It is God's voice to us. So when we hear 2 Timothy and the words in here and the sermons that come out of it, we need to hear it as God speaking to us because that's what it is. My neighbor, uh, he has a, an old Studebaker uh, truck. And... Um, he, he took it out for a spin yesterday and stopped by the house, and I asked him, what's, what's the story behind this, this truck? Tell me the story about how you got it and everything. Well, his dad owned it at one time, and then he sold it to um, this guy who used it for pulp wood. And then uh, his dad, in the, he sold it in the 60s and in the 70s. He was driving the back roads around here and saw it out in the field just rusting. And he bought it and restored uh, this truck. See, Things that are vintage, they have a story to them. There's a story behind it. And that's what Paul is saying here, that behind his story is uh, in this phrase, um, that's what he's getting at in this phrase, the will of God. All right, what is the will of God? Um, I like uh, the rapper Drake, uh, Drake, uh, his definition. I don't like him as a rapper, but I, I, I do like his definition, God's plan, God's plan. Yeah, I had one person nod their head to that. Um, not recommending that song, but anyway, um, you know, I got to throw the hip-hop references in there every once in a while for, for my people. Um, so, so, Paul is saying this, this wasn't my plan. You know, my plan was to persecute the church, throw these folks in jail, participate in their death, right? And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, I saw the risen Jesus, this one uh, who I was persecuting, changed my life. This was not my plan. This was, this was God's plan. Second Timothy is a word from God about God. 
It's a word from him. It's God's will, God's plan, but it's about God. It's about the creator God. It's about the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. It's about the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This word from God is, is also an apostolic word. You see that? Paul, an apostle. All right, the apostles were the 12 dudes that Jesus selected uh, to be with him during his ministry, and he commissioned them to go out and to lead um, um, the church. So Paul, referring to himself as apostle, said, listen, I'm on the same level as those guys. Jesus chose me later on after them, but I also saw the resurrected Jesus as well, and he chose me and sent me out to preach the gospel and to plant churches and to be like the dude in the church. So the apostles were the ones who established the church. They had authority throughout the church under the lordship of Jesus, and Jesus commissioned them to write Scripture. So what they wrote is on the same level as the Old Testament. What the apostles wrote is also Scripture. It is God's Word. So as a result, as a result, the apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine is still the true sign of a real church, an authentic church, or an authentic Christian. An authentic Christian is someone who believes what the apostles taught. It's committed to it. Um, you know there are, there are vintage knockoffs out there. Nothing wrong with that, you know. Uh, maybe you like that. That's fine. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, my wife, Audrey, for my birthday, got me a vintage-looking map of West Virginia. It's super cool. Matter of fact, it's hand-drawn. It's a hand-drawn uh, map of West Virginia, but here's the thing. It's, it's really not old. It's not vintage. It's, it's brand new, right? Which I'm super thankful. Don't, don't hear me uh, hating on my wife's gift. No, I was super thankful for that. Um, but it, it, it's not really vintage. Um, how do you tell the difference between a truly vintage church and one that's not? What do you think? Here's the answer. Do they hold tightly to what the apostles taught or not? That's the test. All right, that's what, that's what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you heard from me. You see that? What you heard me teach and preach, that pattern, that distinguishable body of teaching, the gospel, you've got to hold tightly to that. All right, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I remember one time, uh, many years ago, I was teaching on the book of Romans. Very basic, straightforward, and uh, I could see there was a man uh, in, 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 in the crowd that was getting visibly upset. Um, like he, 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 he thought, it looked like he wanted to attack me. All right, and I kept on going. Um, so at the end, he came up and said to me, you know, Paul got some things right. Paul got some things right. Now, I was very nice and uh, was patient. Didn't, I didn't really respond to it, but uh, here's what I thought. No, he got it all right. He got it all right because Paul's teaching and his writings, they come with the stamp of approval from Jesus himself because Jesus is the one who selected him and said, hey, you're in charge here. What you write uh, is got my stamp of approval uh, on it. All right, this is why the early church was devoted to the apostles. All right, look, look what it says in, in, in Acts, the early church, Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42. 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You see that? They devoted themselves to that. They were committed to the apostles' doctrine. The church of the Lord Jesus in every age is summoned by Jesus to submit to the teaching of the apostles, right? To cherish it, to be devoted to these seasoned words of the apostles. And why might that be important? Why might that be important for us to be devoted to these things, right? Because, well, we live in a culture that is opposed to the apostles' doctrine. There's a lot of press things to change them, to, to delete and edit what the apostles uh, actually taught. Uh, you know, there were times in a bygone era when you got bonus points for being a Christian. Bonus points, right? That's not true today. Right? There's no bonus points for being a Christian. Matter of fact, it's, it's the exact opposite, right? That if you're de devoted to the apostles' doctrine, the opposition will ramp up in your life, right? Here's why. Here's what the apostles taught. The apostles taught there was only one way to God. That's not popular. Look, look at what it said. Look at what uh, Paul said in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. You see that? There's only one God, and there's only one way to that God, and his name is Jesus. That's what they taught. They taught that we're all sinners, and we all need to be saved, and from our sexual sins. Look what he says. Paul, 1 Corinthians 9-11, through Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Don't be deceived. No sexually immoral people, that is, those who are practicing some type of sexual activity outside of um, one man, one woman in marriage. That's what sexual immorality is. Idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, swindlers who inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. This is the apostolic word that we receive from Paul. Paul said it, by the way. I didn't say it. Paul said it, and he was sent by Jesus to say it. And here's why. Because Jesus loves all these diverse kinds of sinners, and he can wash them clean in his blood. That's why we got to hold to the, the apostles' doctrine. Right? If they believe in him and they repent in him, they will be justified uh, before God. The apostles taught there would be a day of judgment for sin. Uh, didn't you see that there in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6? Don't you, know, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived about this. There will be a day of judgment. As a, and as a result, as a result, every one of us ought to turn away from the things that Jesus died to save us from and look to him for salvation, look to him by faith. And that's why the second thing is important. We need a word of promise. We need a word of promise. That's a, that's a, vintage, that's a vintage season word right there. Look, look at uh, 2 Timothy 1.1 1, 1 again. Paul said, listen, I was called to be an apostle for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Paul saying, listen, listen, this, was, this wasn't my plan. This was God's plan. Here was God's plan. God sent me out to preach life. God sent me out to preach the life that can only be found in his son, the Lord Jesus. In other words, 
God called me to preach the gospel. Right? See, that's, what, that's the seasoned word that, that, that we're given uh, by Paul is the gospel. That's the good news of, of life in Jesus Christ. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, verse 20 puts it like this. And this is from the message translation. And love God. This is Moses to Israel. Your God, listening obediently to him, firmly embracing him. Oh, yes, he is life itself. You see that? God himself is life. Life is found within God. And God created us for life. He didn't create us for death. God created uh, the world, the garden, as a, as, a, as a teeming paradise that was full of life. Put the tree of life there, told Adam, all right, listen, I want you to guard it and to keep it. And I want, you to, I want you to take this garden and do a little expansion project throughout the whole world. Fill the whole world uh, full of life. But Adam chose death. Right? Adam chose to rebel against, against God and the death entered into the world, into all of humanity. Right? And all of us who come from Adam, who are descended from him, inherit this death. That's what the scriptures say. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. See, this is the state of humanity apart from the promise of life. It's spiritual death. It's a, it's a walking dead. So what is, you know, people are, are waiting and looking. When is the zombie apocalypse going to happen? Maybe you've wondered that or you thought it happened at some point. It's been happening since Adam. Right? That, that, we, that humanity is walking dead. Spiritually dead, according to uh, Paul. We are all spiritually dead and we all die one day and stand before the great white throne of judgment without the promise of life in Jesus. See, without Jesus, that's all, that's all we have to expect. Let me ask you a question. Paul said we're dead in our sins. What does that look like? What does it look like to be spiritually dead? Um, Jonathan Edwards, he... Um, he was a pastor in New England when the, uh, the people first came over. And um, this is what he said in his, in his uh, very famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That's probably not a title of a sermon you want to like, get out there on the, like, beforehand. You, you want to tell them that folks are already there. Uh, but anyway, unconverted men walk over the pit of hell on a rotten covering. What do you think about that? See, spiritually dead people don't like that. They, they don't, they don't uh, think they're, they're okay. This used to be me. I thought, I thought something like this. Listen, I'm not that bad. And I was treacherous. I was awful. I thought, well, God knows my heart. Surely God knows that deep down I'm really a good person. He knows I'm, really, I'm not as bad as that person. Or I don't do what they do. Right? That's what spiritual death looks like. I didn't care about any of this stuff. I didn't have any desire to... Dude, I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't, know, I didn't care about any of this stuff. I cared about me. But someone came and told me about the author of life. They told me about life itself. They told me about this Jesus who came into the world who took my humanity upon himself and died for me. They told me that, that, that Jesus fell through the rotten wood for me. He took the curse of my sin upon himself he was the author of life, yet he died. But three days later, he walked out of the grave, and he 
appeared for over 40 days, over 500 people, and then he ascended into heaven. And now from there at the right hand of God, he rules and reigns just like we read in uh, Revelation chapter 1. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth, of all things, from where he will return again one day to do a funeral service for death. Hallelujah. I can't wait for that. He's going to put death to death finally and fully, wipe all the tears from our eyes. There won't be any more crying and death and funerals. And he calls us out of death. He calls us out of the spiritual death. Listen to what uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 says. The one who has the Son, Jesus, has life. So let me ask you, do you have the Son? Do you have him? You have him in your life. Do you have life? Do you have life here this morning? See, Jesus is on the side of life. He's not on the side of death. He came to destroy death. Made me think about the movie The Karate Kid. All right, The Karate Kid. Uh, where uh, the, the coach for the other uh, team, or the sensei, I should say, the sensei for the other team was abusing his, uh, his students. Mr. Miyagi came over, stepped in, and, uh, you know, the dude, yeah, he, he tried to get Mr. Miyagi. He moved real quick, busted those windows out, bloodied his hands all up. Mr. Miyagi brought him to his knees and honked him, honk, like that. And uh, as they're walking away, Daniel says, you could have killed him. And Mr. Miyagi said, yeah, I know. Yeah, I could have. And, and Daniel says, well, why didn't you? He says, because a person with no forgiveness in his heart is even worse punishment. See, Mr. Miyagi was for forgiveness. So is God. God's heart is to forgive and to give us new life in Christ. I mean, I mean how, how more clear does he have to make that to us? He sent his son who came from heaven to die for us. He is for life. He is saying, come on and receive this, this life that is in Jesus. And that's why we want to be clear about the gospel as a church. For the same reason that Paul wanted to be clear about it. Because we want people to be rescued from death and to come to, uh, to know Jesus. Right? We want them to come to life uh, in Christ. And that won't happen unless we're clear about the gospel. On the way here this morning, I was listening to a new album from a very famous Christian worship band. And I was disturbed. Because they don't talk about Jesus. That's why. There's no mention of Jesus. What, what are we celebrating? What are we thanking God for? This, um, this fuzzy God that doesn't hear what was in it is what I'm saying. Occasionally, I'm at gatherings with other pastors and I'm often um, distressed and disturbed because this promise of life, this gospel is often on the back burner. Something else is cooking up on the front burner. We say, yeah, you see it on the back burner? It's on the back burner. Yeah, it's back there. Yeah, but look at what's on the front burner. Front burner, front burner. Put the gospel on the front burner. Put it on the front burner. Because no one is going no to be saved. No one is going to come out of death unless we're clear about Jesus. That's, that's what we want to be and do as a church. Right? See, see, the gospel on the back burner is like me assuming uh, that, that I put the brown sugar on the, on the rib rub, in the rib rub. See, the brown sugar is the main ingredient for me. I put the brown sugar on first, and it melts onto the ribs. 
And then I throw the spices on top of that, and the spices stick to the ribs, right? And then I massage the love into it, right? Now, that may not be the best way. That works for me. It tastes good, right? See, the Apostle Paul right here in his introduction, right, he doesn't wait till the last verse to say, oh, yeah, it's about Jesus right up front. He tells us, this is what I'm about. I'm about this promise because this is what Jesus called me to do. This is what he sent me to do, and this is the main thing. Jesus. See, religion is so deeply ingrained into us that churches and Christians think that the Bible is about what we promise to do for God. No, the Bible is not about God. This is what I'm going to do for you. I read it. I see all the rules and everything in there. You know, and God, I promise to do it. That is not the message of the Bible. Here's the message of the Bible. He, God, raises dead sinners who cannot lift a finger to save themselves from spiritual death, and he gives them new life. That is the gospel. That is what the Bible is about. And this life, this promise of life in the, in the scriptures is not in us. It's not in our strength. It's not in our ability. It's not in our wisdom. It's not in our education. It's not in our wealth. It's not in our race. It's not in our president. And I don't care which president that is. It's not in our nothing. It is in Jesus. It is in Jesus. I love how the, 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 this ends here, this, this uh, verse 1, that God called me according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. That's where life is found. Life is found in the Son. That's where life alone is found, is in Jesus. See, and this is why all these things is why we need a word from courageous men. 2 Timothy 2, uh, one and, uh, chapter 1, verse 2 says, To Timothy, my dearly loved son. See, this is who Paul was writing to. He was writing to Timothy. And Paul calls him here, my beloved son, because, he, because Paul shared with him this promise of life in Christ Jesus, and he was born. I mean, like, he was born spiritually. And, he, and Paul took him underneath his wing, and he apprenticed him and mentored him and taught him and discipled him. And Timothy followed him everywhere he went and watched him and learned from him. Paul said things like this, you know about my suffering. You know about my life. Timothy, you saw me. This is what Paul did for him, and Paul loved him like a son. Paul knew that his impending death would tempt Timothy to fear for his own life. Oh my gosh, this happened to my mentor. What's going to happen to me? So Paul writes to him to strengthen him, call him to be courageous as he was. What is courage? What is courage? Courage is not the absence of fear, but it is acting despite it. It is when you're afraid, doing what you know is right. Yeah, courage, courage, oh, this is a scary situation here. You know what I mean? I need the Lord to help me here. Yeah, and then, and then trusting him and obeying him in that. Uh, my girls last year uh, started horseback riding lessons, and some of the horses are branded. They're branded. Courage has always been branded onto the church as a mark of the ownership of the Spirit of God. It is boldness and courage. Look, look, I'll give you an example. 
Acts chapter 4, the religious authorities were clamping down on the, on the church, and the apostles telling them, stop telling everybody about Jesus. Stop all this church madness. Stop meeting together and doing what you're doing. And this is what they, this is what Acts says, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John, these apostles, and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and, and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What, what do you think our community needs to see in us in order to see Jesus? What do, they, what do they need to see right here to recognize that we seek Jesus? Is it education? Not according to this passage. Is it like a formal seminary training? Not necessarily, according to this passage. Here's what it is. When they observe the boldness, when they observe the courage that they had the guts in Jesus to say it and to do it, that's when they knew that they had been uh, with Jesus. And here's the lie the American church believes right now. Maybe you don't know that because you, you, you've been with us. We haven't been doing this. The Amer- here's the lie the American church believes. If we're just nice, if we're just nice people, if we're just lovable, if we're persuasive, then everyone will recognize that we've been with Jesus. No, they won't. No, they will not. We need courage and we need boldness. We don't want to be scared to even say things like the church needs courageous men. Courageous men. Right? We don't ever want to be embarrassed about what the apostles taught or what Jesus taught. You know, Jesus chose all men as his leadership team, his apostles. That would probably be offensive in our culture, wouldn't it? Jesus, you didn't make room for uh, these minorities. You didn't make room for these women. You didn't make room uh, for this and for that. You know, uh, Jesus said, well, I chose who I chose because I'm Lord and I chose these men. Right? Paul didn't write 2 Tina. Paul wrote 2 Timothy. And this isn't chauvinism. Chauvinism is saying that one sex is better than the other. And that's what our culture does. Our culture says, well, we don't know what a woman is. Our culture says we don't really know what what a man really is, but here's what we do know. One of them is better than the other. See, the Bible has way better news for that because it actually knows who we are in our humanity. It says that God created us, both male and female, in his image, equal in dignity and value and worth. But he did make us different. And he called us to do different things. And he gave us um, different, different tasks and different roles. He designed us to do different things. And we shouldn't be scared or embarrassed to celebrate that. That's what God did. He, it says that he made humanity in his own image, male and female, God created them. And then at the end of Genesis chapter 31, it says, And God saw everything that he had created, and behold, it was very good. And we ought to say that too. Male, female, equality, yet different tasks. It is very good. It is very good for everybody, right? Men, women, children, our society. See, God calls only men who are biblically called and skilled to pastor his church. That's clear. That's what the apostles taught. We ought not be embarrassed about that. We ought to celebrate that. Second Timothy, I'll give you examples. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. 
what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men. See that? Commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And maybe, maybe God is, is working on some of you men here. Maybe God is stirring in your heart a desire to, to be courageous, to be one of these faithful men uh, who will be called to be a pastor and to set the example in the church to faithfully teach and preach the scriptures. Maybe that's what God is doing in your life. If so, you need to be a Timothy. Yeah, you need to be a Timothy and be apprentice and be mentor and be taught and be humble and be teachable and learn just like Timothy did. Hey, we got you. We got you if that, if that, if that is the case uh, in your life. And listen, fellows, what cowards we would be if we pushed our ladies to the front lines of the spiritual battle in our homes. Babe, you lead the family spiritually. Spiritual battle in our church, you lead it. Spiritual battle in our community, in our own lives. Babe, will you please lead me spiritually? Um, in our, in our, in our uh, neighborhoods, in our workplaces, push them out to the front lines and have them fight for us. Lord, have mercy on us. Right? May it never be so. May it never be said. So. May, may all, all of Morgan County, all of Berkeley Springs, Great Capen, Pawpaw, Hedgesville, Martinsburg, Cumberland, Chambersburg, wherever, may they reckon around and they recognize we've been with Jesus because they know and they have seen, they have been around and they recognize we got some courageous fellows up in here. Right? And seeing you guys, I know that deep down in your heart, this is, this, you know, this is what you were made for. That is to take responsibility and step out and lead and be bold courageously and do that. Yes, that is what, see, we ought to pray for this. We ought to pray that God would raise up, send, humble, courageous, godly men to help pastor and lead this church. And lastly, because of all these things, we need a word of blessing. Look at 2 Timothy 1, 2. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Here Paul, knowing he was about ready to be executed, speaks a word of grace, speaks a word of mercy, speaks a word of peace to his son. Here he was, a dying man, a dying man, giving life to others. And isn't that the word of blessing by which we are blessed? A dying man giving life to others. That is the vintage word of the cross. A dying man, the Lord Jesus, who gives us life and restores our life. See, we need grace because we are all undeserving. Who are we? We need grace upon grace. We need mercy because we are weak, right, and helpless and cannot help ourselves. We need peace. We need peace in our hearts and our own minds because we're often anxious and guilt-ridden. We need peace amongst one another because we, we divide and we get insecure and we get suspicious, you know, and all these things, and we need we need peace from God to bring us together. 
uh, as a family. And here's the good news. Here is the good news. And we just sang it. God, you have richly provided from the depths of your grace, from the depths of his grace, God, richly, we have mercy, we have peace, plus some, plus some. And that's what we want to respond to uh, now.